Alright. Isn't God good? God is good all the time. Amen. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles again this afternoon, if you would. <clears throat> As we are continuing our study and working through the Gospel of Mark. Working our way through chapter 12. We're not quite finished with chapter 12 yet. And I believe we'll have yet one more message uh, after this from this chapter to close out this year here in just a couple of weeks. We'll close out chapter 12 on the 31st by God's grace if God would have us to do so. But today, as we examine yet another portion, Jesus is still teaching in the temple of Jerusalem. Now for those that may be taking notes, I have titled today's message, The Wisdom of Wariness. The Wisdom of Wariness. If you're not sure how that's spelled, it's W-A-R-I-N-E-S-S. Wariness. So, we find in this portion of Jesus' teaching an exhortation about being wary in two very important aspects, I believe, of our spiritual lives. What does it mean to be wary or to have wariness. Well, first, let's be sure that there's no confusion of this word wariness with the word weariness. <laughs> After a big lunch, we all have a bunch of weariness. And I'll try to make sure that we don't use weariness as an excuse to start, I don't know, falling over in our pews. But uh, it's not to be confused with the word weariness, which of course is a state of being oh, exhausted in the sense of having spent all our energy in some way. Whether it be a physical strength or a mental or emotional fortitude, those things are being weary. Interestingly, while the Old Testament has quite a number of examples of being weary, the New Testament only mentions that word weary three times. Huh! And two of those three times, the verses in the New Testament are simply exhortive type of commands that encourage us, just like the Apostle Paul says, I press toward the mark. Well, we find in Galatians chapter 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And then, of course, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it also says, brethren, be ye not weary in well-doing. So, how do we prevent getting weary in well-doing? Well, I thought you said this message was about wariness. Yes, it is. We're going to get there. We've got to get through the weary part first. Everybody wakes up, right? All right, here we go. Uh, how do we prevent getting weary in well-doing? Well, we do so by first looking to Christ to read and to understand all that he faced in his earthly walk and how his focus remained pure and singular. What was Christ's focus as he worked and walked on this earth? His focus was purely to do always that which pleased the Father. Secondly, how do we prevent becoming weary? We can look at scriptural uh, records of men like Paul, men like Peter, others, that took the God-given recorded word of advice and that tells us, whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. 
You see, if we focus everything that we do on doing it to God's glory, it should never become tiresome. Therefore, we should prevent becoming weary. The Bible tells us, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And again, it says in Colossians chapter 3, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, and not unto man. How do you prevent becoming weary in well-doing? Do it for the Lord. Amen. Amen? Do it for the Lord. Because the Bible tells us that if you do not faint, you shall reap. Be not weary. So, this is where the scribes faltered. This is where the scribes kind of fell apart. These men who were so expert in Jewish law and custom, you see, they did not view Jesus as the very Son of God, but a mere man. Perhaps a great teacher, because several times they did address him as master, which really is another term for the word teacher, and we've seen that through our studies. But they only saw him as a man nonetheless. This brings us to our text today, if you will. Mark chapter 12, find your way, if you would, to verse number 35. Reading just six verses here today in Mark chapter 12, verse 35 starts and it says, And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord. And whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Verse 38 says, And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes, which love to go in long clothing, and love salutations in the marketplaces, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and the uppermost rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. Now I asked the question just a moment ago regarding the meaning of being wary or having wariness. Well, it simply means to be cautious, to be prudent, and to take care to foresee and guard against evil and deceptions. To be wary. In fact, having read our scripture passage today, there's two things that we'll examine. First of all, well, maybe three things. The first thing I want to mention is that Jesus was very, very clear in what it means to be wary. He said, beware. Pretty clear. Pretty clear. I don't know if you've ever gone to maybe a beach or maybe you've gone to a, an, an, an overlook someplace and seen some grand, beautiful vistas and you get up close and there's signs posted there, beware. It says, yeah, don't get too close to the edge. Beware, there's sharks out there. Yeah, don't go swimming. Beware. And that's what Jesus said to, to those that were in attendance. All of the common people, the scribes, the Pharisees, all that were there in the temple. He said, beware. And so, the two things out of this passage that I want to look at today and that we should examine is being wary of dishonoring Christ. And secondly today, being wary of self-exaltation. What does that mean? It means building up oneself. Being wary of self-exaltation. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, as we look to your word today, oh Lord, there's
so much wisdom in so few words. God, I don't know that we could possibly understand it all in one sitting, but God, you've given us each and every day. You've given us your recorded word that we can read each and every day, a little bit here and a little bit there, line upon line and precept upon precept. God, won't you help us today to understand this passage about how we ought to be wary, how we ought to be cautious, always being prudent, taking care to foresee and to guard against the evil and the deception. Lord God, make your word plain in our hearts today. And we certainly want to lift up this young man, Lane, who we heard earlier that, uh, Lord, he's, uh, his mother is Jewish. and uh, Lord, he, uh, he's never uh, gone through the uh, bar mitzvah process. And, and Lord, it, it, he's, he's got some questions. And so, Father, we pray and ask that you would put it upon his heart, Lord, that he would come and hear the truth in the word of God. May your will be accomplished in this message today. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the wisdom of wariness. First thing we want to look at is being wary of dishonoring Christ. We've seen time and again, especially in this chapter 12, as we've studied through this for a number of weeks, we've seen time and again how the scribes have tried everything they could try to discredit the character and the name of Jesus. Keep in mind that it would be the scribes who look after such things as legal genealogies and marriages and inheritances and all those types of things. It's the scribes that are involved with those legal aspects. And these things were of utmost importance in the Jewish heritage. And, well, indeed, they still are in many respects, not only for the Jews, uh, or the Jewish community, but these matters are important to a number of folks. But in our context today, any question of heredity or inheritance would be answered by the scribes looking at genealogies and looking at ancestry and those types of things. That being the case, the scribes would hold fast to the position that Jesus, by the genealogies, was not the Son of God because the lineage that traces back went back to King David. Oh, well, he can be traced to earthly beings? Well, how then is he the Son of God? He's simply a man that somehow became a very well-educated man in terms of Jewish law and custom that was, and he was just simply trying to disrupt and, and countermand the Jewish customs that had been involved over time. And I think maybe he's just trying to set himself up as this apparent Christ. You see, I think that might have been the perspective of the scribes who were based in legalities. I think they were the first legalists of the, of the whole world. I don't know. But don't, never mind. Okay. Uh, anyway, the scribes and the Jewish nation, they were looking for the Christ. They were looking for the Messiah. But they mistakenly expected, I believe, the Messiah to fit their own understanding of what the Messiah would be. He would fit into their own understanding of the religious way. He would fit into their own understanding of their religious practices as, as they have been preached and taught by the Pharisees. But we know from 
earlier in the Gospel of Mark how Jesus called out the Pharisees and said, you don't teach the doctrines of God, you teach the doctrines and traditions of men, making the word of God of none effect. You see, I believe they mistakenly expected the Messiah to just come on the scene, and as Pastor mentioned this morning in the message, he was going to come and establish a kingdom, and he's going to rid them of the Romans, and he was going to just set the nation of Israel free. Not come as a crying little baby in a manger somewhere. To be honest, I wonder if sometimes the Pharisees, I wonder sometimes if it seems as though they thought that maybe one day God might put one of them in the place to be considered the Messiah because they knew their customs. They knew how they were preaching this God. So maybe there would be one day one of their own ranks might be ordained to fill that position to be the savior of the nation. Oh, how foolish. How foolish. You see, I think it was as if they were trying to fulfill God's promises with their and by their own resources. That seems like a rather foolish thing to do, now does it? Fulfill God's promises with my own resources? Well, didn't Sarai, Abram's wife, <laughs> didn't Sarai do the very same thing in telling Abram? She said in, in the book of Genesis, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing, I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be, isn't that the greatest, past, greatest phrase ever? It may be that the Lord means to do it this way. Oh, we fool ourselves. Now, I can't speak for you, but I would have to believe that more than just me on this earth has ever once said, you know, maybe God meant for me to do it this way. And oh, does that ever work out the way we think it should? No. No. You see, Sarai said, it may be that I may obtain children by her in Genesis chapter 16. Except that that's not what God said. God said that he would have Sarai to bear a son. Now before we comment on how silly she was, perhaps we should ask ourselves if we have ever tried to make some living promise of God that we took from Scripture, have we ever tried to make that become a reality in our own life by the thoughts of maybe if I do this, then God will fill his promise that way? No. God will keep his promise, his way, and in his time. Our concern, friends and Christians, is simply to live according to God's word and do the work that God has given us to do. Leave God's work to God. Now in our text, I believe Jesus took a moment to address this matter of leaning strictly on our own understanding of spiritual matters, which is, well, it's, it's faulty at best. Verse 35, the Bible tells us, and Jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? You see, it alludes back to the fact that they were just simply looking at the genealogies. Well, this, this Jesus, we know that his, well, his parents were Joseph and Mary, and then Joseph was the son of this, and they can trace the genealogy all the way back to 
David. So how can he be a spiritual being, a supreme being? No, he, he's a son of David. How say the scribes, Jesus said, that Christ is the son of David? It was not an issue limit, limited to these legal scholars, by the way. Take a look at me. Turn over to John for a minute. Just Gospel of John, just for a moment. Keep your finger here. We'll be right back. We'll turn over to John chapter 7 for just a moment. You see, this issue of whether Jesus was uh, a supreme being and spiritual or whether he was just a man, it was not limited to the legal scholars. John chapter 7, and then find your way, if you would, to verse number 40. And note here that the Bible says that many of the people, therefore, Jesus had been preaching and Jesus had been teaching here, and many of the people, therefore, in verse 40, when they heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And verse 44, and some of them would have, been, would have taken him, but no man laid hands. You see, there was a division in the people. It was a public debate as to whether Jesus was really the Christ of God or not. The scribes certainly thought that he was simply the son of David. And yet in our text, Jesus is not trying to convince anyone that he is the Christ. If you look at his words, he's not convincing or he's not trying to convince anyone that he is the Christ, but he is pointing out that while the prophesied Christ would be counted as part of the lineage of David, the Christ would in fact come from the Almighty God in heaven. Look again in our text, starting in verse 35, Jesus said, and answered and said while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord, notice the capitalization here, this is the Lord Supreme, the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah. The Lord God said unto my Lord, the Savior, my Redeemer, David said, The Lord God said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself, in verse 37, calleth him Lord. And whence then is he his son? You see, Jesus took the very genealogy that they were trying to hold fast to and turned it around and said, Yes, but if Christ is merely a son by ancestry, how then did David a man who was highly revered by the nation of Israel. How then did King David call Christ his Lord if he was his son? So, Jewish custom and law teaches that David is to be revered as the ancestral standard, as he is named a number of times in the prophecies of the Messiah, who would come from the city and the lineage of David. So there was no way to refute what Jesus just said. They certainly were not going to refute the ancestor of King David. And the Bible tells us in verse 37, the common people heard him gladly. Well, what then are we to glean from this portion of text? As we study and learn from the scriptures, we are exhorted we are challenged, if you will, to gain as much knowledge as we can about God and about Christ, about the Messiah, for it is Christ who mediates for us 
to a holy and a righteous God. We are to learn all that we can about Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2 tells us that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And Jesus did indeed. We know that Jesus did indeed live as a human man. He was fully human, as Galatians chapter 4 tells us. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. God sent forth his Son to be flesh, to be human, to live just as you and I live on this earth, and yet to do so without sin. Yet to fulfill the prophecy of a pure sacrificial lamb of God that would be the propitiation, that would be the sacrifice, would be the payment for our sin penalty. And yet we must be wary. We must be carefully watching and guarding against deception and evil so that we do not dishonor Christ by denying his deity. As John chapter 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And down in verse 14 of that same chapter, it says, And the Word, which was God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we have to be very careful against dishonoring the deity and the personhood of Christ. This being very careful against ever thinking that God doesn't understand my circumstances. Yeah, well, God didn't face what I have to face. Oh, be careful there. If God doesn't understand my circumstances, I think God has just left me off to, to fend for myself and determine my own destiny. So that's what I'm going to do. Ooh, that's dangerous. The Bible says that whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Not to determine my own destiny. Not to do all to my own glory. Whatsoever we do, do it to the glory of God. We must be wary of dishonoring Christ. Secondly, from this passage, I believe we can find that we must be wary of self Exaltation. What does that mean? Well, as Jesus was teaching, he then continued. So after exhorting his hearers to be careful to view Christ properly and honor him appropriately, with a warning about being wary of who we listen to concerning spiritual matters. And he was also warning us against exhibiting some of the same behaviors ourselves. Look with me, if you would, in our, in our text, verses 38 through 40. The Bible tells us once again, And he, that is Jesus, said unto them in his doctrine, Beware. Notice the verbs and the words and the, the specific phrases that he uses. He says, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feasts which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. 
Now I would hope and certainly trust that the verses that we just read can't be directly attributed to any one of us. I would certainly hope that none of us are this way today based solely on the specific words that Jesus used here. Nevertheless, the truth is that God has preserved these words for us to glean from. What does that mean? Well, if, friends, I believe that if we are honest before God, if we are honest with ourselves, because God knows the very thoughts and the intents of our heart at all times, from birth right up until death, God knows exactly what is in our hearts. And if we're honest before God, we may find that every now and then, we might just fit the principles described here in that we may inadvertently say something that could be taken as condescending to whomever we are speaking or to one that overhears us. If we say something, it may be that we see someone and that we react in a way that make it seem like, oh, we can't believe someone would look like that or dress like they do. How dare they come to church like that? Oh, wait a minute. Because isn't the principle there the very same thing? They love to go in long clothing and they love salutation to the market and the chief seats in the synagogue. Oh boy, I can't believe someone would come to church like that. Who are we? But sinners saved by grace. We're no better than anyone else. In fact, we are on level playing field with every other soul on this earth. The one difference is the grace of God. And that is none of our doing. We have nothing to claim as superiority over anyone else. So you see, it might be something that we inadvertently say. Well, did you, did you know what they just, I just, did you hear what they just did? We need to be wary of self-exaltation. We need to be very careful and very diligent and very prudent about setting ourselves up to look superior to anyone else. The scribes here in our text, to which Jesus refers, were rather notorious for their, what do they call it here? Down the nose look upon others. Oh, I see what they're doing over there. Oh. They would look down their nose, as it were, upon those who maybe weren't part of their group or maybe weren't as educated as they might be or, as we saw in verse 37, considered common people. The scribes looked down their nose at them. Well, you're just common people. You know, I believe that there are some religions, there are some denominations, there are some religious groups today that say and they behave like you have no business being in here yourself. We'll tell you what that says. Don't you worry about it. Oh, I pray that people don't buy into that. But many do. These scribes were, like many of the Pharisees, the kind of person who would cross the street and walk on the other side just to avoid going too close to that beat-up Samaritan, that, that, that beat-up one there on the side of the road. 
The Samaritan, he didn't cross the road. He went over and tended to the poor injured man. But the Pharisees, the rabbis, the scribes, oh, they, I, can't, I can't be part of that. Now, don't take that as saying, well, the Bible says we're to be, come out from among them and be ye separate. So how do you answer that? I, said, I answer that exactly as the Bible answered. Come out from among them, be ye separate. Don't get involved, but don't self-exalt to make ourselves seem superior to anyone. Simply follow the doctrines of Scripture to say don't get involved. Don't even beware of even the appearance of evil, the Bible says. But you can't be all hoity-toity. You like that word? I don't even know how to spell that word. You can't walk by and be all hoity-toity and I would never do something like that that is beneath me. <laughs> I love the story of, was it uh, Dr. Hiles that, you know, somebody said, oh, the, the, the restroom over here is all plugged up. And he grabbed a plunger and went. Why not? Well, I can't get my suit dirty. Well, okay, it's kind of nasty in there. I'm not going in there. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Why can't we be the ones to serve others in whatever capacity that would have us to do? Jesus says very clearly here in the text, beware of that kind of person. Whether it's others who set themselves up to be some kind of a look at me, why, I pastor a mega church, and I had, do you know how many hundreds of thousands of people listen to me every day, so you better pay attention to what I say. I don't know if any of the mega church pastors ever actually said that, but sometimes I kind of get the feeling that's the way they act. I would prefer that I just deal with me and, 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 and help me to live by the tenets of his word rather than have to deal with all of that pride. I got enough pride as it is that I have to deal with. Jesus says very clearly here, beware of this kind of person, whether it's someone else or whether it's us. Notice, though, that Jesus does not say that we are to do all that we can to completely avoid this kind. His charge is only that these shall receive greater damnation. Oh, well, what does that mean? Well, from that we can understand that if we are this way from time to time, making ourselves look proper and pious and, and yet turn around and work destruction and undue harshness like the scribes just described here, things will not go well for us, even though we may profess Christian love for others. Has that ever happened? Think about it. Be honest before God. Have I ever made myself out to, oh, I'm a Christian, I wouldn't act that way, and yet there's sometimes that, oh boy, we don't act very Christian-like. You see, these, Jesus said, potentially us included, things are not going to go well for us if we turn out that way. Things are not going to go well for those that engage in that kind of personal behavior. When God inspired Paul, writing to the Philippians, said, let nothing be done through strife or, what's that next word? Do you remember it? Vain glory. What is that? That is being glorying in and of ourselves. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. 
You see, there is no qualification fine print there. You can read that, you can read that verse, you can read it upside down, you can read it backwards, forwards, inside out. There is no qualification there. There's no fine print that says, unless they don't deserve it. There's no fine print there when he says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves, unless they are weird. Or unless they're from that part of town. Oh, I don't know if I could serve somebody from that side of the tracks. Let nothing be done, friends, in strife and in vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. What does that mean? Know your position with God. Know who you are before a holy and a righteous God who, were it not for the person of Jesus Christ standing and saying, Father, those are mine. My blood is on them. Were it not for Jesus Christ, God and us, there would be one outcome. That's us going to the eternal place called hell. That's who we would be were it not for Jesus Christ. Having the wisdom of wariness means that we live out Scripture, like 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, every day. We live it out every day until Jesus takes us home. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Turn with me and we'll close with this. Turn with me back to the Gospel of Matthew, if you would, for just a moment. Matthew chapter number 25, if you would, please. <clears throat> Once you found Matthew 25, find your way over to verse number 34, please, and follow along, and I'll close with this. Matthew 25, starting at verse 34, the Bible tells us this is Jesus speaking. He's preaching, and he says, Then shall the king... That's God. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. And then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee, or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? Verse 40 says, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. I want to be found in that group of the righteous that says, I don't know what you're talking about, Lord. When did I do that? Then when he points out, when you've done it unto the least of these, if I am being wary of self-exaltation, I will be not weary in well-doing to anyone and everyone that comes across my path or that God leads me to. I want to be a part of that righteous group, don't you? Amen. Pastor, would you close the service today? Well, I fully expected you to use a different kind of an example. 
But to show you how odious self-exaltation is, you don't have to look any further than the woman who ran against Trump. <laughs> who literally looked down her nose and said, if you do not vote for me, mm. then you're just one of a basket full of deplorables. Mm. And she was so full of herself, so self-exaltating, that it was really disgusting. Mm -hmm. It was really disgusting. And I know that as believers, we don't, we don't want to look like that. And so we need to humble ourselves, don't we? Mm -hmm. We need to humble ourselves before, Lord, before the Lord. And if there's to be any exaltation, let him exalt you. Yes, Whether it's here or there, let him do the exalting. Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together. Just to be reminded that, Lord, as humble believers, realizing that, but by your grace, we would not be the people that you've called us to be or to conduct ourselves in a manner that, you, that you're pleased with. But that, Lord, we humble ourselves and to realize we are your workmanship. And Lord, we want to be a good representation because, Lord, you are also humble. And you didn't draw humanity to you because of how you looked or because you had a certain persuasion about you. But, Lord, because you loved. And you loved with the unconditional love. Love draws people and humble people are able to love with an unconditional love. And Lord, may we be those kind of servants, not compromising servants, steadfast in the faith, obedient to the word. But we do so knowing that but by the grace of God, that would not be us. And Lord, we can certainly win others in that process as they begin to realize that we love them for who they are with the potential that Christ can do something wonderful and marvelous within their lives. So, Lord, may we go forth, and until you come, be the humble men and women that you would have us to be. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <laughs>